Welcome to the Farrell's Fit Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Farrell's Fit Podcast. Uh, I'm super excited. I'm joined with one of my uh, OG members and OG friends, Dan Crowdis. Um, hey, Dan. Hey, how you doing? Good, brother. Dan is, um, uh, is the first ever ADHD coach I've met. And, and chatted to, uh, and I'm super interested to, to, to learn more, which is the purpose of today's podcast. Obviously, we've had conversations in the past, um, but we've only really touched on, on the surface of, of everything that, that Dan does. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, ADHD is something that's extremely common these days, um, and we'll talk about why we think it's common, or mm-hmm. maybe it's just that the, the diagnosis is more common. But um, We'll do a fairly deep dive into into all things ADHD and whether you have ADHD or whether you don't have ADHD, Dan's going to give us some really insightful tips and helpful things that can help uh, organize with time structure, uh, organize with dealing with ADHD um, and how all these different elements of whether it be fitness or nutrition or whatever it is can help people with ADHD. So welcome to the podcast, Dan. I'm thrilled you're here. I appreciate your time, brother. The way that I would like to start is to just give us a little background into into your experience with ADHD and how you ended up becoming an ADHD coach. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed when I was seven years old. The doctor at the point said um, one of the most clear-cut cases he had ever seen. And uh, before that, you know, I was kind of the gifted kid. I was ahead a few grades in math. And so they kept putting me in these higher, higher classes. And then it got to the point where there was a lot of homework all of a sudden it crashed and burned and I had to go down to like the bottom level classes. And it took them a while to figure out how to balance that out. It was like, I could do really well on tests, but putting me on my own to like work on homework that didn't excite me, it just didn't work at all. So I'm grateful that I was able to get diagnosed early on. Um, So yeah, once I was able to figure out how to work with ADHD, school became a lot easier. You know, I did better in college than middle school or high school because suddenly everything was actually interesting because that's a big thing with ADHD is you can hyper-focus if you find something that interests you. If it Mm -hmm. doesn't interest you, it's really difficult to do it at all. And that's kind of the paradox we have. And unfortunately in life, there are a lot of things that you need to do that don't necessarily interest you. Yeah, exactly. So since then, I've been working as a software engineer, music producer, and a lot of times working at home. And then it was during the pandemic that seen a lot of people had to work at home for the first time and a lot of people were getting diagnosed with ADHD for the first time that uh, I decided to become a coach. And even some of that uh, started with John Kim because my partner, Rena, you know, she became a coach because she was thinking about becoming a therapist and I introduced the two of them and she ended up uh, going through his program and becoming an intimacy coach. And then, Mm. yeah, it was seeing all the people that were struggling with ADHD, working at home in the pandemic that inspired me to basically use all the knowledge that I'd built up over all these years to help other people out. That's great. And, you know, we mentioned John Kim. So John John Kim would call himself a therapist. You would call yourself a coach. What what would you say is the the primary difference between a a therapist and a coach in in your world? Yeah. What John Kim does is kind of straddles both lines because it's not that one is even better than the other. It's just you're trying to hit two different sides of uh, helping somebody's mental mental health out. And I like to think of that if you break your leg and you know you're, you're trying to get back to a baseline, you're going to go to physical therapy and they're going to help you like learn how to walk again and do some very basic exercises. And that's really the role of a therapist. It's, it's a generalization. Of course, there's other differences, but they're going to bring you up to a baseline. They're going to get you up to what is, you know, might be considered average. But then say you want to become an athlete again and you want to squat heavy or you want to learn to run a marathon, then you might be working with a personal trainer. And that's where a coach is, somebody that can take you from good to great. And sometimes people come to me and I might refer them out to a therapist or maybe even a coach that specializes in another area. But coaches also tend to work with very specific niches, whereas therapists are trained to potentially work with any type of client. Right. And your, your, your experience with ADHD, Dan, you mentioned like you kind of got a hold of it. What, what was your process of getting a hold of it? Like, how did you, how did you go, go about that? It was a lot of different individual things. And the, 
And that's why, you know, working with a coach, an ADHD coach, there's going to be a whole program. There's going to be a lot of things that you do because unfortunately there is no magic answer. I mean, even medication can only get you a small bit of the way there. You have to have lots of routines. You have to have lots of tips and tricks. You have to learn, really learn about the brain. And when you start procrastinating, you know, what's happening chemically in your brain to cause this. It's uh, you really could write many, many books on it. Right. Did you, you had, uh, drugs and do you still have drugs to deal with the, the symptoms or have you weaned off? Yeah, that I think or? I would call it medication in here just <laughs> based on the, the stigma that, uh, ADHD medication still has these days, yeah, but it does make sure. sense because a lot of people do get it, um, illegally, and whether they're abusing it or whether they're just yes. using it off label. Yeah. So it has picked up the stigma for a fairly um, reasonable purpose, I feel. But it can be a very big help. And I like to say that it could be 30% of the puzzle. So, and some of my clients do fantastic without any medication at all. Some do take the medication. But yeah, even if you have it, it's not going to solve the problems on its own. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's, it's more of a balancing. Um, act of all these different mm-hmm. things. So I know um, we'll, we'll get deeper into training uh, later on. Um, but what was your first? What was your? I guess your first kind of like awakening of like fitness can help with my ADHD or strength can help with my ADHD. What was your kind of introduction to that? I think it was coincidental because I was just something I was always doing, and I was an avid runner. Didn't do a whole lot of weight training. You know, growing up in my teens and my 20s, but just ran a lot, you know, and do push-ups and pull-ups and that kind of thing. And then I learned later on how much that was helping with ADHD. And it was just a kind of a happy coincidence that I was already doing a lot of the things that were working. But then I got into doing strength training because of all that running. I didn't realize that how skeletally I was very uneven and destroyed my knees in the process doing that. And so while I was doing physical therapy, one of the physical therapists, like after some knee surgery, it's like, have you ever tried deadlifts? I was like, no. And we actually did deadlifts in a physical therapist's office. Oh, and cool. yeah, that realizing that, you know, building that strong posterior chain can really help with this specific type of knee problem, like anything patellar with a kneecap. Uh, it takes a lot of having a really strong hamstrings and glutes that'll take a lot of the pressure off the kneecap. Anyway, uh, it's just, I also feel that strength training can be really good if you have ADHD because there's a lot of numbers involved and there's a lot of goals involved yeah. and working towards yeah. goals is really good for your dopamine and activates your motivation for that. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say that you've always been very good about, you know, knowing your numbers, keeping records, you know, writing down your, your, your results and your programming. Um, and I was going to say it, that probably is almost helped by your ADHD, right? It, it's kind of like one thing feeds the other. Um, if you didn't have ADHD, maybe you wouldn't be so thorough. Um, yeah, because you are so thorough, it helps with the ADHD. Well, yeah, it also helps motivate to be motivated to work out in the first place because yes. tracking all the numbers and working towards the goal, it makes it like a video game. And then you have that extra motivation to be like, oh, I got to hit these numbers, got to hit that things. And without that, you might get bored. And it's very easy to get bored with ADHD. So you got to think of like, what other kind of things can I do to gamify my life? And that's a great example of that. Do you, you mentioned dopamine dip? People who have ADHD suffer from low dopamine. Yes, exactly. Right, and, and that's the like a, the main point. I was going to say, is it a kind of a yo-yo thing? Is it like always low, or does it like go up, go down, go up, go down? Is it just erratic, or yeah, it can be very unpredictable, and it's the regulation of dopamine that um, is really insufficient because we have the hyperfocus where you do attach to something, and then all of a sudden you'll get a flood of it. But uh, a neurotypical person has a lot more control over both the dopamine and how to switch between the different brain modes. For example, like when you're daydreaming or thinking about the past or the future, that's in the default mode network of your brain. But if you're focused and doing something, that's the task positive network in your brain. And you can think of a neurotypical person, they have like a gear shift that can switch between, but the transmission with an ADHD person might be a little bit loose and kind of you end up switching back and forth without control between these different modes. And that's why you have the, uh, the stereotype of somebody that just daydreams all the time. 
they're literally in a different part of the brain. So wow. you're asking about dopamine though, and this goes back to medication and exercise. What medication, most of it, the stimulant-based medication, what it does is it'll raise your dopamine and your norepinephrine, which is related to adrenaline. You know, the other things that also raises that is exercise, especially, yeah. you know, like really tough exercise, really uh, intense strength training. Um, also, I saw that you were talking about uh, ice baths, that's another natural yep. way because that creates adrenaline. And when you create adrenaline, that also creates dopamine and norepinephrine. So that's a natural way if you want to stay away from medication and you do have ADHD is cold exposure. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's just obviously there's so many benefits to cold exposure that we're, we're only really learning about now. I mean, I've done them for a, for, for a long time, you know, periodically, and I've always felt the benefit although i hadn't had the data to back it up but now there is the data to kind of back it up it's it's there's, there's no real reason to not do, do ice baths apart mm -hmm. from the initial kind of uh you know interpretation with it but um it's good to hear that hey, yeah, do you do it regularly or oh i don't do it at all i hate the cold <laughs> yeah well but i mean it's... i'm gonna get you in there i'm gonna make that my next next time you're in idlewild you're yeah. gonna come here we're gonna do it yeah. <laughs> I'll do it again. I mean, I've done it before. It, the first time I did it, right. practically went into shock and had to be helped out. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, with having medication, I took a pretty low dose, but uh, you're achieving a very similar effect. You know, yeah. there's certainly side effects with that. But, um, right. you know, there's many different ways to achieve this I mean, exercise and just all the different things that you can do. You want to have like a toolbox to tackle your ADHD instead of saying yes. you have to do these specific things. That makes sense. It does, does routine help, like having a, a set routine? Yeah, and that's a double-edged sword because routine helps so much, but it's also really difficult to get there because many people with ADHD are very stubborn and they want to do things their own way. And I don't know if you have seen this with people that you know that have ADHD, that they refuse to do anything routine-related or anything structured. They have to be their own, uh, doing their own thing, Yeah, but it will really help. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, time, I know time management is, is something that's key to your, your coaching and, and everything that you do when, when you have ADHD can like simple things take a really long time. And is that why you have to like just have allotments of time for different things so that you don't get, you don't spend too much time on one thing or is it not that blocked out? It's funny because we're only really learning as far as neuroscience, how the brain perceives time in the first place. And I've only heard this recently that apparently when you blink, what that's doing is it's marking sections of time in your memory. And this is not something I'm an expert about. I've only heard it a little bit, but apparently with, you also have what's called attentional blinks in your memory where whatever you're focused on, sometimes your brain is just going to reset and say like, okay, like looking around what's next. And that's going to happen far more often in a person with ADHD. So what that really means is that we perceive time differently and there's what's called time blindness if you have ADHD. That's why I always have this little digital timer here. Of, mm -hmm. For example, when this podcast was coming up, I had two hours to work and I didn't want my phone near me because having my phone near me, that's bad because a notif notification could easily pull me out. But I also you know, don't want to be looking at anything else that might, I just want to have this be like, okay, that's just clock ticking down. So I don't have to worry about time blindness. There's just something to always remind me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, um, do you think ADHD, I mean, I don't remember hearing about ADHD when I was a kid. Like I don't remember it being a th like a thing or something people would diagnose with it in the UK at least. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed it growing? Like, have you noticed more and more people being diagnosed? And if so, why do you think that is? I mean, and I'm guessing if there's a lot of people with ADHD that have been diagnosed, there's probably just as many that haven't been diagnosed yet, but probably have it. Um, do you think obviously modern lifestyle and the, the distractions of modern life, um, and that we live in such a quick gratification society, do, do you think that's exacerbated the, the ADHD problem or do you think it's just a genetic thing? It's both. So ADHD is totally a genetic thing because we see it, uh, passed down in families all the time. And I like to think of it, it's just a brain type, you know, it's existed basically forever, but, um, there was a book I read that thought that people with ADHD, they might be the hunters and people without might be the farmers when, you know, a prehistoric society, because there's a lot of traits with ADHD that are actually really good. If you are, mm -hmm. you know, saying some like Neanderthal hunter and you have to be very focused on one thing for a while, 
But then when that hunt is over, it's not that important that you aren't focused on anything. Right. Um, so that's the genetic thing. But a lot of people being diagnosed for the first time, I think it's because modern society, it's making it difficult to live with ADHD where people have been able to cope in the past. And there's a lot of uh, jobs that I think are very conducive that if you have ADHD, even completely undiagnosed, like uh, emergency medical is a good field because there's always some crisis. Like, people with ADHD are great when there's a crisis because all of a sudden you have to, you know, somebody needs you. That's going to activate all your dopamine. You don't have to, you know, be on your own trying to focus on something. What you need to focus on is very present and in front of you. Or sales is another example because there's a uh, provides a, a variety of challenges and you have to step up and learn how to do that. But if you're just home on your own, trying to do projects on your computer, which suddenly way more of us have to do, that's where ADHD becomes really difficult. So I think that's wow. one of the reasons we're seeing all the diagnoses is that the demands that are putting put on our brains have been a lot different, you know, in modern society. But yeah. what you're also saying real quick, I also think that, um, a lot of social media and phones, they can create a lot of ADHD-like symptoms, even if you aren't born with it genetically. Um, so the concept of neuroplasticity, have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, we can retrain our brains and create new neural pathways to improve. The flip side of that means we can also have you know, neuroplasticity go in a negative direction where, yeah, if you're on social media doom scrolling all the time, or TikTok is a great you know example of that. Yeah where, yeah, you can basically just create these pathways where you almost, it's like you have ADHD, but if you're there and you weren't born with it, that means you can retrain to get out of it. Yeah. I, I to your point of, um, you know, working at home and having distractions, I mean, that was always the thing. Um, you know, it always seemed like, wouldn't it be great if I could just work from home, but then when you actually <laughs> try and do it, there's this, you, you look for distractions, you actively look for distractions to, to yeah. not do the thing that you're meant to be doing. Oh, I'll just, I'll just clean that up or I'll just do this or I'll just <laughs> do that. And then I'll get to this in a bit. And it's like, you just looking mm -hmm. for all these things around you. And I guess, you know, that, that would be maybe a symptom of uh, ADHD, if not like actual ADHD, but it's probably just 10 times worse if you actually have ADHD, yeah. just looking for a distraction and everything. Um, so have you always found when, when you, when you do find something, that you do love, that you do enjoy, it's been, you know, easier, easy to focus on with, with the condition. And it's only stuff that only stuff you don't enjoy that it's hard to focus on, or is it sometimes hard to focus on in even the things that you love? So music, for example, has, has music always been easy for you and always come naturally to you and you haven't had to, you know, that hasn't been so much of a struggle because it's a love or have you had to work with that as well? It's funny. I have actually really struggled with that, but that I wouldn't um, attribute to ADHD at all. So what you described at the beginning, that the things we are really passionate about are easy. And growing up is also like, you know, writing software for video games. It was making those as my, on my own as a kid. Super, super focused on that. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head. But the other things like, you know, doing chores and doing the dishes, there's no dopamine for that. However, I did deal with writer's block for five years because... I spent so much effort trying to like build all these musical projects and, you know, I created all these things, but I felt that they never went anywhere. And I dealt with, you know, major depression for three years and coming back from that, I was like, okay, I want to get back to music again. I realized that I had all these negative associations with considering myself a failure as a musician, as a creative. Wow. And I would sit down, even though I was better in some ways, I would sit down and try to create again. And those associations just came hitting me and it was, it was really painful. And so I think that's one of the things, one of the reasons I also became a coach is helping other creatives deal with that because, you know, it's all the things that happen in your subconscious, what we associate and how can we break those associations and replace them with more positive associations. Yeah. This, um, you mentioned your period of depression. Is ADHD and depression common? They are, but I don't think it's a direct link. I think it's more of the struggles that you have with ADHD can cause depression because you're just struggling to deal with life and it just isn't working for you. And you see a neurotypical person and they're not struggling the same way. 
yeah, it can make you feel like a failure. It can make you right. really blame right. yourself. Yeah. yeah. You also yeah. see it with anxiety as a comorbid, whatever the word is, yeah. that people can deal with that for similar reasons. We, we talked about, we talked about trainings is, has helped, uh, has helped you. Does nutrition play a part in this? Does nutrition affect you in different ways? Does it help hinder? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing to avoid is sugar because that's going to play havoc with your dopamine regulation. Right. And there's a lot of people that really swear by specific diets for ADHD. From what I've seen personally, I don't think there's any one thing that is a make or break. Uh, fish oil is great for everybody, really, because it's going yeah. to help just your brain function. So there's no reason not to do that if you have ADHD, because it's going to help you in a lot of the same ways. But the only thing that I've seen that makes a huge difference is just avoiding large amounts of sugary things. Yeah. I definitely, my diet in general is, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I've, I've definitely read that people on low carbohydrate diets, or even people who go keto or carnivore, have improved their ADHD a good deal. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess it's specifically for that reason, like you're just not taking in the sugar, your body's just not um, converting carbohydrates into sugar. And that's just not, uh, you know, playing havoc with that dopamine release. So it mm -hmm. would make a lot of sense that those kind of diets might be better for someone with ADHD, you know, certainly staying away from, you know, artificial sugars and um, refined sugars, but um, maybe a, a lower carbohydrate, higher fat diet might be a better way to go um, mm -hmm. to regulate those, you know, that, that sugar uh, and that dopamine release. Yeah, I mean, I've done low carb diets before, and I'm back on a medium carb based high protein diet now. Yeah, no real specifics, just eating like healthy whole foods, mostly, you know, 80% healthy, 20%, whatever you want. And but the big thing is avoiding sugar from what I've seen. But for other people, also, if you're going without medication, I think you do have to think of all these other aspects like nutrition and the other, you know, exercise, cold exposure, they become a lot more important because you don't have that, which could be a crutch. Or if you want to do a low dose medication like I'm doing, because you want to avoid the side effects. I wonder whether the increase in cases is linked at all to the fact that as a society, we just consume so much more sugar than we used to, you know, evolutionary in, 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 in terms of evolution in the past. Obviously, now we're, we're as a society, we're consuming more sugar than ever. Kids are consuming more sugar than ever. I wonder if that's making the problem worse because people, people's dopamine levels have just been fucked with from, from day one, basically. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't read anything specific about that, but it very well could be. I mean, it, it would make sense, right? It would track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely read a, a couple of cases. Um, I, well, I think a few cases where people have actually written on carnivore forums or keto forums is like, I suffered really badly from ADHD and this really helped me. So I think, I think we just solved it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I think we fixed it. Yeah, um, I mean. Do, do people, um, in terms of your coaching, do people come to you? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing people come to you with all different levels of, of ADHD in all different situations. Do you, do you, does your kind of like prescription is the wrong word, but your kind of like advice, is it like you need to be doing X amount of fitness, eat a certain way, have certain habits, build healthy habits? How do you, how do you approach a client in this kind of sphere? Yeah. So I was talking earlier about how coaches usually have a very specific niche that they work with as opposed to a therapist. And personally, I have an eight-week program, but I work with creatives or entrepreneurs or, you know, in the best case, somebody that is a creative entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, I work with a lot of other, you know, like artists, musicians, or, you know, like cinematographers, fashion designers, anybody that's trying to do something creative on their own. But a lot of what I do comes down to mindset and subconscious training. And, you know, we all often will talk about, you know, fitness and diet if necessary, but it's not core to the program. Really the core to the program is learning why you're procrastinating or what is the component in your life or components that are missing. And how can we start to figure out how to retrain your brain to get around that? But I only work with people that are already doing pretty well. You know, somebody comes to me and their executive function is, if they're really struggling, I have a network of other coaches that I'll either refer to or I might just recommend um, Sorry, that therapy God. might be, it's all good, yeah. Therapy might be the best place to start if, you know, maybe if you're dealing with some like really difficult trauma from your past, you know, maybe you aren't ready for coaching yet. 
But what I'm doing, trying to do is take somebody from good to great. Maybe you're doing fine at your job, but you want to go off and actually be an entrepreneur or you want to finish this creative project that's been gathering dust for years. So you want to finish your album or create this game that you've started but never finished. That's a theme I see a lot is people, they'll start something ambitious and they have the ability to do it, but something's holding them back from actually finishing and putting it out into the world. Yeah. I think that's, um, I would almost put myself in that category, to be honest. But Oh, yeah? I just, I, you know, I've started so many things over the years that I've been so passionate about, and then it's it's just kind of died a death just because you kind of lose the, you know, you, you lose that initial enthusiasm for it. Fortunately, mm-hmm. fortunately not with fitness, but, you know, with, with other things for sure. Um, but, you know, sometimes so, you get to choose, is this your, your you priority, go. right? Because you can't do everything. You can't do everything, yeah. And that, that was always mm-hmm. my thing. Like, I just love so many different things. I never really knew what to, like, focus on. You know, so I tried this for a little bit and then I tried that for a little bit and then I moved to this and it was never, you know, I was never, I was never depressed. I was never bored. It was just like, there was just too many things I wanted to try to really focus in on one thing and, and make it stick. Mm-hmm. And I look back now and it's the things, there's things I regret, there's things I wish I'd, I'd stuck at because I think I could have been good at it, but I just couldn't <laughs> for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Like what, like what? I'm curious. Well, actually, I mean, music for one thing, like, um, you know, I've been playing guitar since I was 14, but I'm no better now than I was when I was 16. Um, you know, I, you know, I learned, I learned a lot of stuff in the beginning. Like I wrote a lot of music back in the day in my, in my early twenties and I was really into it, really passionate about it, loved it. But I, I don't know whether it was self doubt or, um, fear or just probably concern about growing up and not having a real career and all that kind of stuff and got to pay the bills and you know all that all that jazz so that that kind of like died to death and I you know obviously I still have my guitars now and I still pick it up every now and again but it's not something that I I pursued that seriously after the age of like 26 um but you know I do I this is this not me me being boastful but I do think I was I was pretty good at, at writing songs um, I was, wasn't a great guitar player, wasn't a fantastic singer, but writing songs came very easily to me. And I think it was like a, a kind of a gift I had, but I know I just didn't have the self-belief to, to see it through, um, and to, and to keep working at it. Um, one thing that makes me sad about like, modern society so, so, is that yeah. people, they see it as a failure if you're a musician and you don't make it your career. And I wish we could just celebrate being good at writing songs and not making making money somewhere else and yeah. still well, consider yourself well, a great musician, thing. you know? Here's the thing with that. Like, I never wanted to be... My, my ideal thing with music would have been to have been a songwriter. Like, no fame, no none of that, no attention. Just like the guy in the back just writing the songs and giving them away to other people. Yeah. That would have been my perfect uh, situation. But yeah, I, I, and I don't think it was, I think honestly, it probably just came down to self-belief. Like I just didn't believe in myself enough to really make a, a good enough go of it. So yeah, I do kind of agree with that. And there's other stuff as well, like certain sports that I wish I kind of like, I, I played ice hockey when I was a teenager, which is rare for someone from oh, the UK. Cool. Yeah. And um, I was really into it, like had all the gear. Um, and then for, I can't even remember the reason why I stopped. Like it just stopped. And then it was like, geez, if I'd have really stuck at that, like I might have been good at that. <laughs> so, but, you know, and there's a million stories like that. I could, I could tell you, it was like I, I started things. I, I tried them. I loved them. But I, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't stick it out. I don't know. But training, like I said, train that we, we, we often say, and I think it's probably similar for you, like training is the anchor. Like for me, having training in my day, that sets the tone. That's my anchor. That's what gets me like in the right mindset. That's what gets me focused. And that's what, um, you know, that's what gets me through day by day. Um, and it's always been that way. Like since I was 15 years old, that's been mm-hmm. the one, con- the one consistent thing that's always kept me grounded. Um, and it sounds like it's been similar for you. Like it's become that to a degree. Yeah. It's been really, really great. And I, <laughs> so when I moved to Los Angeles four and a half years ago, I found Pharaoh's first, and then I found an apartment as close as I could get to that. Cause I knew from my past, if I made it difficult to get to the gym, I was going to go way less. So I'm like, okay, right. I'm working at home, five minute walk down there. I go Monday through Friday and just part of the routine. And that really grounds me as well. Having that in the middle of the day, you know, get most of my work done before that and then get, you know, 
some work done after and relax after that, just having that day after day, it really is grounding. And especially having the class setting where you can interact with other people yeah. and have it, the programming done for you. You don't have to do all that work that opens up, you know, your brain power to do other things. And we we're talking about routine earlier. And that's why routine is so important. If you have ADHD is that that's that many less things you have to think about every day. You don't have to decide how to do this. It's just, Oh, I always do things in this order. And then your brain can work on other things, you know, like expanding or sorry, expending that brain power. Yeah. 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 It's, um, you, you mentioned the class thing. It's, it's really interesting to me because obviously, you know, I, I do the programming. I work out a lot on my own, but if, if I had a choice, like I would be in class every day because class in that interaction, it just gives you so much more and maybe not so much more physically, but so much more spiritually and, and mentally. And you know, that there's just something so powerful about bonding and connection that you get through through fitness and through physical activity and sharing experiences like that um it's just kind of a it's kind of a magical undescribable thing um i always say like results are accelerated in the group environment and by results mm -hmm. i mean i mean total results like you feel better you 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 know you communicate better you build better relationships it's it's really a it's really a, a magical thing um yeah and that's why i always like you know, that's why, we, you know, we have the open gym uh, and some people do like to go in and work out on their own. And that's totally fine. And, you know, I do that sometimes too. But Pharos will always be uh, a class-based facility just because I, I just believe in that and that, that the importance of that connection and that kind of social interaction. Um, because a lot of people, you know, they just don't get enough of it anymore, especially, especially if you work from home or, you know, you have a job that's kind of in isolation um, and all your kind of like relationships are online in a way, like people are just communicating online and sending texts and emails and stuff. And no one's actually having conversations. Whereas where you mm -hmm. go to a gym and you go to a class, you engage, you engage with people, you have real conversations, you, you take a genuine interest in someone else's life. Um, and that's, that's so important. I mean, and, you know, historically we had it a lot more in our lives, whether it was through church or commune or whatever it was. Um, and now if we don't do that anymore, we have to find other outlets to have those connections and the gym is just the best place for it. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. and, you know, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but you know, that became just so apparent during the pandemic, you know, that when people were going through, you know, the pandemic and they were in isolation and stuff and they could come to the gym and train outside, that was the one, you know, the one moment they have to connect, the one moment they have to build, you know, relationships and to just sweat together and have that kind of human <laughs> Not human touch because we couldn't touch each other, but yeah. you know that kind of like. I still miss those parking lot workouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were good, but yeah, it, it's it's such a powerful thing, such an important thing, um, and yeah, it's 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 been the, I you know I, I think I, I said recently, what what I've come to love, and I love fitness, but what I've come to love is is the community that fitness can build, and the expression of fitness. So it's. When, when people come to the gym and they start to really express themselves through fitness, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to, to watch and to, to, um, to experience. Um, fitness just becomes like almost like a tool by which to deliver your personality in a physical sense. And I love that about it. Like you can tell the way that someone behaves in the gym is the way that someone behaves in real life. And you can really see people <laughs> and, and you, and you can work on that. You can work on, you know, the way that you behave and the way that, um, the way that you work hard at something, the way you attack something, the way you, um, endeavor to learn a new skill, whatever it is. Like there's so much, so much training in the gym can be useful in the real world. Um, and you can, you can, you know, enhance those skills, improve those skills and the work on it. And as well as, you know, as relationships and building, you know, the ability to, to, to converse and to, to treat other human beings with respect and courtesy and, and good manners, um, which is like, I'm old school like that. I, I, I want people to be nice. I want people to have good manners. I want people to be respectful. Um, and that, you know, the gym's a great place to, you know, hone those skills. And it, it, it is a skill. Like imagine if you never see anybody, you never have any real communication. You don't, you don't know how to deal with people. You don't know how to speak to people. Um, but you know, if you, if you put yourself in that environment with so many other people, you, you know, you have to learn those skills. You have to learn to communicate. You have to learn to be social. Um, and I think that's, I just think it's so important. 
um, especially with, like we were saying, like with all the distractions and um, immediate gratification of modern society and everyone just wanting to like get that dopamine rush from like every little thing around them. Yeah, but um, what you're talking about there, the, the ability, it's like, look, if we're in for a class, I'm not going to do bur burpee box jumps on my own. <laughs> it's just like, no, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. But being able to be like, all right, this has been assigned to me. I don't like this, but I'm going to do it. And then you've proven to yourself that I was able to do something that I didn't really want to do. You're going to take that home and that's going to increase your ability to do other things. And a lot of what I do in my coaching program is these little small wins that keep building on each other. And what that happens it's part of training your subconscious that, oh, I actually can do something. Where is if, you know, if your recent past is, oh, I've been trying to do something and it didn't work. And the next day I write it down on my to-do list and I still don't do it. You're training your brain to say, oh, I can't do things. So, you know, training and, and proving to yourself that you can do something difficult, that really does carry over in other areas of your life. It does. And it's, it's really interesting when you, when you learn a new skill and you're able to execute it successfully, you mentioned it before, like the dopamine rush that that gives you, that, that sense of achievement um, is a really important thing uh, in the gym as well. It's easy to get caught up in, you know, Groundhog Day of just, if, if you do the same workout every day for 10 years and you're just like gym by numbers kind of thing, you're not, you're not going to get that same dopamine rush. You're not going to get that same effect. But if you're genuinely, if you know your numbers, if you're making progress, if you, if you lift more than you've ever lifted before, if you learn a new movement, if, you, if you've never done a power clean before and you learn how to do a power clean or, you know, and, and it could be anything, a muscle up, whatever it is, that achievement, that, that learning a new skill and executing it is a mm -hmm. huge, you just feel so good. And you can't describe it, but it's dopamine, right? You're getting that huge surge, you're like, Fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you see it when people, yeah. um, you know, you've seen those, those CrossFit videos of people get their first muscle up, whatever it is. And they're just like, they're just so excited and so happy. And it's like, well, it's just the muscle up. But like in that moment, it's like, I did something I'm capable. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's, that's, that's also super important because you can say, you know, it's easy for people to say, Oh, I don't need to do this. Oh, I don't need to do that. Well, maybe you don't need to do it, but, there might well be some benefit, you know, on the other side of that rainbow that can really, uh, you know, make your day better and make your life better. Yeah, it took me about a solid year before I could do a power clean without hitting myself in the throat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we, we talked a little bit before about uh, time management. What, what tips would you have for someone who struggles with time management? It really depends on w what you're dealing with. Because if you're late to something, visibility, is, like I was talking about with the timer, um, is, is a really important thing. So you can kind of just know about that. Avoiding notifications can be another thing because if you have two hours to do something and you're like, okay, I know this task is going to take two hours, you need to be really careful about every, all the other thing, all the other demands on your attention that might pull you away from that because you know, if you have ADHD, you can be drawn out of that uh, focused mind state so easily. So you have to protect it, to guard it. You have to be in a very mm -hmm. secure environment. You have to block all visual distractions away. And then sometimes it's planning. And I'm like iffy on time blocking for the day because, you know, saying that, okay, I'm in the morning, I'm going to block every single hour. I'm going to do this, this hour, this, this hour, which can work sometimes. But the downside of that is, you know, life is chaotic. You never know what's going to happen once the day starts. And if you get off that schedule, it can feel like a failure when it's really not. It's just what life is. So yeah, it really depends on specifically what you're struggling with. I think if you're just trying to get more done, a lot of it's going to come down to going back and forth between deep work states. Say you're going to do deep work for an hour and a half, and then you come back and do shallow work, like catching up on your emails and your texts or you know, in switching back and forth or have you heard of the Pomodoro method? No. Pomodoro timer? No. So that's 25 minutes on five minutes off. Like these cute little, uh, tomato timers for that. Personally, I find that one a little, a little short for me, but some people love it, but time management so there, work, it's about work, saying that you work solidly for 25 minutes and then you took a five minute rest and it could be on anything. Right. right. Mm -hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, personally, yeah, I, I do about an hour and a half on half hour off, but the half hour off is sometimes doing, the shallow work, like all the little things, like answering an email, yeah. which if you did in the middle of your deep work block, then trying to switch back to the deep work, you might 
not have that same focus that you did. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like this this whole kind of like, um, you know, eight hour working day thing that we kind of evolved into. It's like, well, how many hours of that eight hours are you actually able to do anything meaningful and, and constructive? And how much of those yeah. eight hours are just wasted? And I think about it with, with, with kids. Um, and it's become very apparent to me with this kind of new new homeschool trend where a lot of people who homeschool you only you only do homeschool for like three maybe four hours a day and then you do some activities then you do sports and then you might do some clubs and a lot of them do really well and the, the reason is is you're, you're just doing a really efficient working work time you're not wasting time like getting your kid ready for school getting them to school everything mm. that goes around it and then you know, trying to get in the classroom and adapt to the environment of the classroom and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you're just going to sit down for three hours and do this, this, and this. Once it's done, go have fun. <laughs> and yeah, think, exactly. You know, I, in many ways, I just see so much, so much benefit to that just because, you know, kids aren't meant to sit in, in, in classrooms all day on their, just sitting down for hours. They need to be moving. They need to be like getting outside, running around, doing stuff. And I think a lot of time, you know, a lot of these problems can be solved with more physical activity and not to, you know, not to belittle or demean like real cases of, you know, ADHD and other, other, um, other, uh, other things like that. But I think, you know, being, being more physical, being more active, things that don't require you to just sit in a chair in a classroom and, and listen. Exactly. Um, yeah, but really, really important. I, th- I feel like ADHD though, it's like I was saying, it's not a disorder. It's a brain type where it's existed yeah. for thousands and thousands of years. And it didn't used to be an issue until we tried to create our society where you do, you know, are expected to sit in one place and yes. don't do that or like focus yeah. on one thing where, yeah, you know, we- if you have ADHD before and you weren't doing that, you could just run around and you'd be just fine. Right. Yeah. We've created these artificial environments for ourselves. And like you said, that brain type just doesn't, doesn't do well in that environment because it's a completely unnatural environment. Like thousands of years mm-hmm. of evolution have led us to this point. And at no point in history have we ever done that uh, apart from the yeah. you know, 20th century onwards. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And I do think Sometimes we're just so much more productive if we just put time limits on things and just say, I'm going to work hard for these next three hours and then I'm done. <laughs> or what, oh, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, setting us, setting ourselves up for, you know, a big stretch. I'm just saying, I'm going to work like all that. Like it just, it's just setting yourself up for failure because the mind just can't focus for that long. Mm-hmm. It's just, just not capable of it. So I wonder, I just wonder, look like moving forward. I wonder how many, cause I know it's, it's been a thing like companies have experimented more with even like four day work weeks or, mm-hmm. you know, um, working fewer hours or, or working from home, whatever it is. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next kind of 10 years with, with companies. And I, I, it's interesting that, um, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people ended up working from home because the offices were closed and now, and a lot of them moved to remote places like Idlewild or somewhere in the woods. <laughs> and now a lot of those companies are saying, oh, we need you to come back now. Like I know Disney are doing that now, like saying, oh, now mm-hmm. you can come back into the office. Like I, I moved. I, I can't do that anymore. Like I moved <laughs> my family here. My, my kids are in a different school. And now you want me to come back into the office? No, I, I can't do that. So it's a real, you know, I think it's a real interesting time where people realized I don't need to be in office. Like, it's not like I'm producing more. I'm not a better employee. I'm probably a worse employee when I'm in the office, but yet you're insisting that I do that. And I just don't want to do it anymore. Like it's been a real, mm-hmm. I think it, for, for all the shit, the pandemic, like I think there's been some key things where people have had an awakening of like, I don't have to live like this. I can live like that. And it's actually better for me. It's better for my, my, my well-being to not be in that situation. Um, I know a couple of people mm-hmm. like that actually up here who did exactly that, like moved here because, you know, the office is closed and now they're trying to get back, trying to get them to go back in. And they're like, mm, no, <laughs> like, I'm just mm-hmm. not going to do it. So I think, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing also with, with the cities, cities and, and, and the countryside, like um, a lot of people obviously moved out of the cities in the pandemic and moved into more countryside areas and remote areas to get away from the trappings that, the trappings and the, and the distractions that the city can present. Um, and they found a, you know, a more, I don't know whether traditional is the word, but they found a more simpler existence um, and just not surrounded by so many people and so many things and so many distractions and so many conveniences. Yeah. 
um, and they actually have to think about where they get their food from and um, make it make an effort to do things. Um, and and it's it's almost like we've gone through a a small kind of evolution in the last few years of people coming to the realization that maybe for some of us at least living in big cities isn't good for us like isn't good for our soul isn't yeah. good for our mind isn't good for our you know our happiness i've, I've always loved big cities honestly know, it's just yeah. but i'm also i'm not raising kids and that's a big difference i wouldn't want to raise kids and i mean right. you could certainly do it but it's you have to really think about where you are yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like yeah. Tokyo, just like being around a, a crush, like even like growing up when I was a kid and not living in cities, like, I just always idolized it. So, but yeah, I mean, there's so much advantage of when you're in the country, like you're saying, you're kind of, you miss about a lot of what uh, it means to be human, to be alive when you're in a city because you're abstracted from it. And like you say, like yeah. growing food and seeing what nature is like. And even if you're in a city, you have to get out to reset and just remember that. And we, it's... it's the meditation is also a big thing for ADHD. It can help, but you don't have to necessarily just sit there in quiet to meditate. Sometimes like a hike by yourself through the forest can be some of the best meditation ever because you're just allowing wow. your subconscious to work through uh, problems while you're there. And that the kind of thing is way easier if you're out in the country because you can just walk out your front door and then go for a walk. And then there's your nature hike. Yeah, it's also interesting Like in cities, you can be surrounded by millions of people, but it can be the loneliest place on earth. Whereas mm -hmm. in the country, or like in a small town, you're surrounded by way less people. Like me and Emily always joke, we see way more people here than we ever saw in LA. Way more mm -hmm. friends. We, we have dinners more often. We, we meet people more often. We go for walks with uh, people more often. Just because it's just so much easier to get around and everything's on a smaller scale. It's, there's no hassle. Um, so you... you you, you, there's less people here, but there's more people in your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, you got to trust. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Um, yeah, it's, I couldn't go back, you know, <laughs> at least I don't think I could. I mean, if I had to, I guess I would adapt, but, um, like you said, with the kids and stuff, it's just, you, you just don't want to do it. Um, mm -hmm. other, other tips, um, for anybody suffering with ADHD, do you have any other big, big tips, big suggestions that can, that can help? Cause I know a lot of people at the gym and a lot of my private clients suffer with ADHD. Do you have any, any, uh, golden eggs? I'm trying to think of what I haven't already hit. So we talked about routines, but how do you actually build a routine if you resist it? And there's one thing that I like called they call it, I think it's called habit stacking um, or habit chaining. Anyway, James Clear's Atomic Habits. I've read tons of books on this subject. That one is probably just the most concise as far as bang for buck. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to read 300 pages to get 75 pages of uh, yeah. you know, gold. That one's just super short and tons of uh, things. But yeah, a single, a single tip if you want to improve with ADHD is one, not to think that habits or structure are the enemy, but then once you start wanting to build it, just take one thing that you already do at the same time every day, like maybe brushing your teeth or having your morning coffee. And you have another thing that you want to do, but for some reason you're struggling, just attach it to that. So after your coffee, say you do your dishes or after you brush your teeth, you set out your clothes for right. the gym for the next day. So you're motivated to do that. And yeah. you know, the first few times you're going to have to remind yourself or put out a note or something, but eventually it becomes automatic. And then you can build these really long chains of habits. And because you have an ADHD brain, sometimes they'll get out of whack. You'll do things in the wrong order. Or you'll just get distracted. But it's a lot easier if you just take a couple weeks, struggle through it, and then all of a sudden it gets easier. But it's like going to the gym, right, where you're not going to walk in and pick up the heaviest weight. You know, you have to start with the smaller right. dumbbells build the strength. And anytime you're training your brain for something, it's the same thing. You don't want to yeah. beat yourself up because you're not perfectly disciplined. You become perfectly, dis not perfectly, but you attain greater levels of being able to do habits and routines by starting small, mastering that, and then adding to it, mastering that instead of yeah. thinking that it can be done all at once. Well, it can be simple as just like building a good morning routine. Right. Mm -hmm. I always say like, if you exactly. build a good morning routine, if you start the day in the right way, the rest of the day is so much easier. You know, you, you wake up and you do three positive things for yourself that are going to make you better. Like drink a glass of water, um, take your vitamins, have a shower, clean your teeth, like all just, just basic stuff. <laughs> and then 
and then work out whatever it is but having that that constant and that starting the day in that positive way um there's nothing worse than starting the day negatively <laughs> like the very first thing in my program is make your bed it sounds yeah, so silly yeah. and people are like really i'm like trust me on this one it's true it's true <laughs> like me and emily are both fairly messy messy people um which is obviously a bad combination uh, especially if you have two kids um and th there's no better feeling right now like when everything is clean which usually means the cleaners have come um when everything's clean everything's tidy all the toys are away it's like oh this is paradise when everything <laughs> like, when i wake up and everything's a mess it's like ah oh, like everything just feels <laughs> everything just feels claustrophobic and you've, you you know you're living in a mess so i think mm -hmm. making making the bed is a, is a is a good one something that i do sometimes uh, with certain clients, you know, kind of like looking around their area, I'm like, okay, you should grab a cardboard box and we're going to take everything from all your services that you're not currently using. It's all going to the box now. Like we're going to deal with it next week, but give yourself a week, you know, unless there's something there that's going to, you know, your, your life is going to fall apart if you don't deal with it in the next couple of days. But a lot of times it's clutter that's been there for months anyway. So get all the clutter and just see what it feels like to have clean surfaces. Yeah. And then, okay, then we go back through the box and start dealing with things one by one. But a lot of times people forget what that feeling is like of just not having the visual distractions and all that clutter because it's not only getting in the way, it's a little reminder of something that you need to feel just a little bit guilty about, you know? Yeah. And you get enough of those things and they can really add up. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Uh, Dan, I have one more question for you. Um, if you had to describe what your purpose was, what would you say? Oh, this is going to be me as an artist as well as a coach. But uh, my purpose is I want to bring the childlike joy and wonder um, from experiencing art. Because, like, you know, you're a kid and you see something for the very first time or experience it and you just, you're not trying to be cool or be reserved. You just, like, feel that joy. And so I want to bring that through the art that I create. And I want to help people feel that joy of creation when they can create themselves. And that's with my coaching. I want to remove the obstacles that are in your way that you can feel the joy of creating and living in your own purpose. That's fantastic. I love that. I love yeah. that. What about you? I'd love to hear your answer. I guess it would be to keep building communities through fitness and to allow a space in which people to reveal their character physically. Something, mm, something like that. Cool. And to and to and to buy a ranch and to live in a ranch, live off the land and all that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to be a cowboy. Basically, that's that's all I really want. <laughs> How can people reach you? How can people get hold of you? Yeah, it's uh, ADHD Coach Dan on Instagram, and yeah, there's also ADHDCoachDan.com, but it's the same stuff. Just find me on Instagram. I'm gonna post there every, every day, and uh, yeah. Awesome. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much. Great to speak to you. Um, hopefully, I'll get you up to Idlewild soon. I'll get you in that ice bath. And uh, if not, I'll see you. <laughs> I'll, do that. I'll see you in. Uh, I'll see you in LA real soon. Um, I'll be down next week, so I'll see you then. Perfect. Thanks so much, Pete. Thank you so much, brother. Take care.